0: Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast. This is episode 59. And today we're interviewing Aranda Wickramasinghe. That's a very difficult name to say, Louise. Yes, <laughs> but Jackie,
1: we are absolutely fabulous to have Aranda on the episode today. And you got to sort of meet Aranda through the PHC UK Ambassadors Network.
0: Yes. Yes yes, and also he's in a another Facebook group that I'm in. Um, so, yeah, we, we, and he's in our Facebook group as well. So, yeah, we get to chat frequently. Comment frequently, shall we say. Yeah, but I, I've also, I heard him on another podcast and he has such a lovely voice. So, I think listeners, you're in for a treat just to sit and listen to his voice. But, you know his journey has been quite amazing and very, very quick. You know he it's only a couple of years that he's been on the journey, and he's really got involved in the community and in helping people, um, especially locally to him in his doctor surgeries. And I was
1: just saying to Jackie just off air how wonderful the NHS is in terms of your ability and the way that the NHS is um, engineered for the patient participation groups. And this is where the PHC UK is absolutely instrumental in strengthening the community action. And really what it's trying to do is to drive the change around obviously the management um, of chronic diseases such as um, diabetes, type 2 diabetes that is. So really what... You know, your role, Jackie, as ambassador and Aranda's role in, in the ambassador program is to really advocate and strengthen the community around this education and empowerment. I think it's just absolutely wonderful. And Aranda's story is testament to that. Mm. It's really just another way of, um, you know, making a change and, you know, really now leading and advocating for further change it's just it's a very powerful story
0: yes and i think as we get i mean we see the phc growing and growing with more and more ambassadors and i think it sort of feels that we're gonna we're gonna reach a tipping point at some point soon now maybe i'm just being naive because you know it's we're in a very small space But as the ambassadors grow and patients become more aware that they can take their health into their own hands, maybe we will start to see a change.
1: I know that you're always talking about this grassroots action and I think that's where we sort of, you know, we both agree that it needs to be from the bottom up and that we're driving that change. But I think it really comes to the fact that it's about upskilling And the ambassador's role in that is to sort of promote and educate, and we're trying to empower and through this advocacy, and we're participating in community. But the key thing is that we are not only individually, you know, upskilling ourselves, but through the education. And that's where the role of yourself. Um, we've had Sam, you know, Felton, Aranda, other, other ambassadors, where that's where the community action comes into it. That we're empowering the community yeah. and really driving that policy change to reorientate the healthcare system.
0: Yes, still a long way to go though. But it's the hope. So let's go back
1: to Jen Unwin, and you know we can see the vision. We, we're hopeful for that change. So, and I think that that's the, the very powerful message that we're, we're what we're doing with our podcast is bringing hope.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us more about Aranda? So
1: Aranda, as the Harpenden ambassador and volunteer for the UK charity the Public Health Collaboration, he is a passionate and yes, listeners, you will hear this passion um, uh, for being a patient advocate for anyone suffering from type two diabetes, pre diabetes, or obesity. It is possible to reverse with a you know with an asterisk then um, that these simple, manageable lifestyle changes to feel happier, healthier, and to live a life of abundance. And where we're saying about reversal, we are talking now about remission. So as we said, Jackie, it all starts with hope, that simple idea that things can get better for me and there's a realistic way for me to feel happier and healthier. That hope is a combination of support which opens up a world of possibilities. It doesn't take a superhuman effort or, as Jackie knows, a willpower, it just comes with the willingness to believe that things can get better and we can take small steps to make it happen with the support in every way. So Aranda is a proud dad of a wonderful little boy and considers himself to be the luckiest husband, as we'll hear about his wife, um, in the world and with the most brilliant supportive, wonderful person that she is who he could ever hope for. He's grateful for every day for how positive change has transformed his life for the better. So, listeners, we hope that you
0: enjoy this episode. Welcome, Miranda, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today.
2: Thanks, Louise, and and thanks, Jackie. It's amazing to be here. It's a real honor uh, because, as I was saying earlier, you, you guys are heroes, but, you know, whether you want to take that or not, you really are because you're giving so many people so much hope.
0: Thank you. We appreciate that. We never know, you know, we know we're getting listens, but we never know, Mm -hmm. you know, how people receive it. So it's good to know. So normally we start with where in the world are you?
2: So I'm in Hertfordshire. Uh, So I live in Harpenden and I work in Hatfield. So I'm talking to you from Hatfield right now.
0: Just in the UK. in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. No, not far from me. And tell us a little bit about where you were before you started on your low-carb journey and what was happening in your life at that time.
2: Yeah. So um, I've always had weight problems throughout my life uh, from an early age. Uh, so I was 08, um, well, not quite obese, but certainly chubby as a child. Um, as an adult, um, I've been on a yo-yo diet journey pretty much my entire adult life. Uh, so things kind of came to a head, uh, when I walked through the door kind of home one day and I was obese at the time and pre-diabetic, which I didn't know because I hadn't, I put off going to the doctor, uh, because a close family member had been diagnosed with pre-diabetes, um, you know, shortly before that. So I, I had it in my mind i've got to get my act together so the, my plan my my grand plan was i'm gonna cut calories like i've done before do huge amounts of exercise drop all the weight and then go to the doctor's surgery and and you know it's like uh you're healthy you're good so that was the plan <laughs> but you know after kind of my whole adult life doing that you know it wasn't really sustainable and came home And my wife had told me that she'd booked me into an over-40s health check. It's just a standard NHS uh, health check. And, you know, sort of, yeah, I couldn't avoid it any longer. So um, I got the diagnosis on Friday, the 23rd of August, 2019. It was official. I couldn't deny it any longer. So I was diagnosed um, obese and pre-diabetic. Uh, so I, I had a good idea of what that meant because, you know, as I said, close family member got diagnosed and kind of I knew that type 2 diabetes was quite serious because uh, in- increased risk of Alzheimer's, increased risk, risk of heart attacks, increased risk of cancer. Uh, you know, you could go blind, you know, diabetic retinopathy. Uh, you could get uh, kidney damage and you could, you might need to go on kind of, Dialysis, You could damage your kidneys, uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So I I kind of took it really seriously, which kind of left me with an interesting conundrum because um, at the doctors, uh, the nurse that I saw uh, gave me a sheet of A4 paper uh, and said, you need to lose some weight Uh, as if that's an easy thing to do because, uh, you know, it's not like I didn't know I needed to do that because I've been trying to do that all my adult life, you know, um, and I'm trying really hard actually, because, you know, um, um, I was, I've run 13 marathons. So that was my part of my attempt at kind of managing my weight by running lots. Mm-hmm. So certainly when I had the time, um, so I was running um, maybe 35, 40 miles a week on a, on a just an average normal week. And then if I was running a marathon my peak mileage in a week would have been close to 100 miles a week so i was trying really hard and with cutting calories i tried various schemes kind of uh, i tried um, meal replacement shakes uh you know shake for breakfast shake for lunch and then uh, something really depressing for dinner like salad with a bit of dry chicken or something like that (laughs) so so it's it's not like i hadn't been trying so i had i had been trying really really hard but the the hunger always won uh so it's two things the hunger always won. so that's the physical hunger of not eating enough uh, because if your calorie is restricting uh, you're eating all this depressing, low-fat food, uh, and eventually the hunger wins out. And so I had that problem. And then sort of the food addiction side of things, because I'm one of those people that uh, had developed an unhealthy habit of, if I was anxious or stressed or unhappy, uh, food, um, especially junk food, was my kind of go-to kind of re- emotional relief as yeah. it were, because, um, mm-hmm. you know, Dr. Roberts, Robert Syvers talk the carb addiction doc, he talks about this a lot in terms of, you know, if you've got um, a dysfunctional emotional management system in terms of how to cope with negative emotions or stress, and your go-to tends to be, I don't know, a packet of crisps or a Mars bar or, or kind of uh, Oreos or any of these ultra-process um, CRAP um so i don't know if i'm allowed to swear but (laughs) but uh, so so i had two problems so there was um that constant hunger if i was uh quote unquote being good or um how do i cope with stress and unhappiness and you know all those types of things so so the nurse said lose some weight gave me a piece of a4 paper saying and it was all the usual stuff you know lots of lots of uh healthy whole grains and, you know, all those, all that kind of stuff, Uh, you know, low fat things, you know, not, not a, not a ribeye steak in sight, basically. Uh, And so it left me with an interesting conundrum, because I knew I could lose the weight in the short term, because I could just go back to what I did in the past, which is cut calories, exercise loads and loads. But I also knew that it wasn't sustainable, especially because, um, you know, we had a small baby, um, you know, wife and I had a small baby, our son. uh, So home life was getting really busy. I couldn't really afford the luxury of um, running 40 miles a week, which takes up a lot of time, a lot of time, uh, you know. And um, so I was kind of stuck and quite early on, so the first thing I did was start to cut, cut calories because that's what I knew. So yeah. for the first thing, I absolute first thing I did was start to cut, cut calories. Um, so I had this half-baked approach of cutting calories. And I thought, if I'm going to cut calories a lot, so there's a professor called Professor Roy Taylor of, of mm-hmm. Newcastle University, mm-hmm who he did prove that you could put type 2 diabetes into remission by cutting calories drastically. Yeah. So I think typically his patients went down to about 800, 800 calories a day for something like 8 to 12 uh, weeks. And a lot of them uh, did manage to lose a lot of weight very quickly and go into remission as well. So, so I thought, okay, so if I'm only eating about 800 calories a day, I want to at least go to bed on a full stomach and you know like a you could eat a substantial meal if you're eating once a day and at least at least when i'm going to bed i'm I'm feeling full so so quite by accident i started doing something called intermittent fasting complete accident complete fluke and that was just my brain thinking i can't go to bed if i'm hungry uh yeah. so complete accident a fluke, I didn't even know what intermittent fasting was about, just started doing that, and um, did one meal a day. And then quite early on, I kind of, there's two sets of resources that really helped me out. So on the one hand, I discovered Dr. Jason Fung, and the fasting method, and Megan Ramos, and the Obesity Code podcast, and then the book. So on the one hand, I discovered that. And then I discovered um, Dr. David Unwin, and Dr. Jen Unwin. And their message of hope really resonated with me because um, they're very matter of fact, kind people. And they were saying, look, we you know we've been doing this for years now with our type two diabetic and pre-diabetic patients. Um all they're doing is uh making lifestyle changes that are sustainable for them um and it doesn't require a superhuman amount of willpower all it needs is having a realistic hope that things can get for you but better for you personally and it's focusing on those positive aspects uh for yourself in terms of you know i can get more energy uh i can have more energy to play with my kids i can get my brain back so that really resonated with me and uh um long story short so I did a mixture of low carb and intermittent fasting, and all of the excess weight was gone within twelve weeks.
0: Fantastic! All of it was gone,
2: uh, and I waited an- another three months to retest my HBA one C. Clean bill of health. Um, so, and since then, I've been maintaining. So, uh, and the, the weight loss really is the least of the benefits that I've experienced. Honestly.
0: So, what, what's what's your favorite benefit? The
2: favourite benefit is is I get to be the dad that I want my son to remember. All oh, right, sorry, getting getting a bit emotional here. Because, because
0: <laughs> but that is I think that is so powerful. I always say to people, your why is so important, and it shouldn't be about weight loss, and it needs to be something really motivating like that. Otherwise, you won't stick it when when the weight plateaus. And I really think that that
1: in itself, as you said, about that hope, the hope, which is, you know, Jackie's why, I get to be the dad that my son will remember, you know, and I can just imagine you just, you know, you're running around and you're on the playground and you are present and engaged and nurturing and inspiring. And I think that that in itself you should be really proud that you have in how many weeks 12 weeks for weeks
2: for weeks Turned
1: your life around to yeah. be the you know to be the present um dad who's going to be you know in your son's life so i think that that's an absolutely um you know a message that is as Jackie said very powerful so um well done to you for for making those changes you know yeah. Con- yeah. inconsequentially as you said you know inadvertently you were doing you know, the intermittent fasting, you found your way. But why should it be that way? Why should it have to be that you stumble across mm. this sort of stuff when the nurse was saying, eat less, yes. move more? Had move you more. not been doing that? Yeah,
2: and look where it yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the frustrating thing is it's not a deficiency in willpower. That's the problem. Because I, I I happen to think I have quite a lot of willpower because, you know, um, you know, I've run 13 marathons. I've got a good degree from a good university, an engineering degree, first-class honours. So I've done a lot of things in my life that do require commitment and determination and willpower. So it's not a lack of... I don't have a deficiency of willpower and I don't have a character flaw either. So that's not the reason why I ended up uh, obese and pre-diabetic because it's the mainstream advice just does not work cut your calories uh you know eat less move more uh, it's not a method it's not a method it is a result if you recover your health you will naturally eat less and because you feel good you will want to move more so it's a it's a result not a method uh, yeah, and it's so absolutely. frustrating because what I know for myself and what I know now from my work with the Public Health Collaboration is if somebody has hope and they've got support, it's easy. It's easy. Um, certainly it might not feel easy at the beginning, but it is actually quite easy.
0: Yeah, and sustainable. Yeah,
2: and sustainable. You can do it for life. You can do it for life. No problems.
0: Uh, I was going to say, you're also very lucky that you stumbled across this while your son was small. Yeah. So he is going to be being brought up on those benefits as well. Exactly. And he, and he gets to see you as you are now, yeah. Um, I think. Louise is probably in the same boat as me is that we discovered it when our kids were much older uh-huh. and so we'd gone through that time of bringing up our kids being tired and overweight and not able to move and not able to do things with them in the playground or run around or yeah. even I, I didn't never wanted to go out I just yeah. was quite happy sitting at home
1: yeah. yeah yeah and I was one of these I, I call it like a sideline I was on the sideline parent, you know, where I was on the sideline at the playground, you know, I was on the sideline at the, um, yeah, anyway, metaphorically on the sideline. But now I think, yeah, I will be a very present grandparent one day, not give me another couple of years just to sort of adjust to that, but, you know, where I can sort of almost play catch up. In a way where I can be the present, you know, funky, energetic, you know, flexible grandma, being able to get on the ground. So, um, yeah, Mm. I think that that's, that's gives me hope that I can actually re-engage in a different, in a different way. But yeah, Yeah. and Jackie, Jackie's right. That's when they're teenagers, it's completely different, you know, in Uh in terms of role modeling that in in that engagement. But yeah, you're very lucky to to sort of have this, you know, presence um, so early on. And yeah. how was how were you feeling at that time when you know you were almost it's 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 really interesting to obviously for for us, Jackie, where we're interviewing a man, and it's typical of men who don't want to seek help, and that's ex- mm-hmm. exactly what you were saying. Like I'm just going to ignore this, and it will go away. Uh-huh. But you almost came to, you reconciled it on my terms, you know, I'm going to cut these calories, I'm going to run this, and then I'm going to go get that clean bill of health. But unbeknownst to you, the over-40s health check caught up with you. Um, yes, yeah. What Do you imagine what would happen if you hadn't had that health check? Would you have gotten there at that point? Do you think you would have had that, you were pre-contemplating, you know, no. contemplating... Would you have gotten there eventually or not?
2: I, I don't think so, because I think I needed that shock in terms of there's a piece of paper uh, and there's a nurse in front of me telling me that I'm pre-diabetic and obese. I think, left to my own devices, I might have lost weight in the short run. Again, lost a little bit of weight in the short run, but it would have come compiling back. So it was a, a real wake-up call uh so in some ways it's one of the best things that ever happened to me because it changed my life in a positive way
1: do we have your wife to thank for that (laughs) yes absolutely. yes. Absolutely. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. absolutely I mean I'm so lucky to have such a supportive you know thoughtful wonderful wife and hugely hugely grateful so um you know really kind of hit the jackpot when I kind of met my wife because uh you know um you know she ca she cares about me, and you know of course and she does yeah,
1: and has yeah. the whole family is is in terms of her support is she the main meal preparer is is are you both doing low carb together
2: so that's an interesting question, so I do quite a lot of cooking uh in the in the home, and uh sometimes I even sort of uh, make the, the carby element for my wife because you know there's no reason why she shouldn't be eating carbs because she's very healthy uh so it tends to be that there'll be a common protein element and that could be steak or fish or or whatever uh or chicken or whatever then there's a common veggie element so kind of uh green non-starchy veggies and then uh my wife um sort of she can have sweet potato or or couscous or potatoes or whatever uh so i'm very good at making roast potatoes uh uh even though I, I don't make them i don't eat them myself anymore so i'm but i'm very good at making them and she likes my roast potatoes so occasionally i'll make make some roast potatoes for her and um yeah so yeah
0: you're very good not eating them <laughs> i'm not sure if there was roast potatoes around i wouldn't be able to I would have to have some, Absolutely. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the best thing is if we don't have them at all.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting point because when I was in the early stages, I didn't trust myself. So we had this rule that certain foods, she could have them in the house as long as I didn't know that they were in the house. And as long as I didn't know where they were, and I had permission, if I did stumble across them, I had permission to throw them in the food recycling immediately <laughs> while, while I still had that little bit of self-preservation intact to kind of get rid of it. So, yeah.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah,
1: I think that though you need to sort of obviously, as you said, in the early days, and I think that's part of that adaption sort of thing as you're going through and modifying a lot of those things you said about Food habits and your relationship with food, and I think that where yep. you, you described it as me controlling my emotions and how I respond to those triggers, and you need yep. to have rules for me mm-hmm. being yep. the abstainer, and Jackie is able to have the, the moderator. So yep. for me, I know that I'm very clear and black and white. There's no negotiation with um, with certain yeah. trigger foods for me. So um, yeah, yeah, Jackie's. Yeah. Jackie's hit the nail on the head with um, being very good, but as you said, Uh you're not. There's no deficiency. You're not deficient in anything by any means. It just was the rules of the game. You know, they changed the rules of the game on you. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. Iranda, what are your trigger foods?
2: Oh goodness. Um, So there used to be um, things like especially sweet things so things like oreo biscuits uh ferro rocher chocolate uh stuff like that if they were in the house i i literally couldn't have any peace of mind uh so remember the very first argument that we had as a couple was over Ferrero Rocher because this was when uh, Ruth, my, my now wife, but then girlfriend, this was uh, when she had her flat, I had my house and I was staying over at her flat and she just went out to do something, but she left me alone in the house with a box of Ferrero Rocher in plain sight. <laughs> so I, even at that time, this was way before the pre-diabetes, I knew I, I didn't want to eat it. Uh, but i felt compelled to eat it so i thought while i've still got a little bit of willpower left uh, i'm just going to throw them away just going to throw them away and just to make sure i don't eat them i'm going to take them out of each of the individual wrappers and put them in the food recycling so there's you know and mix them up with the with the old food you know food waste so that there's no way i i would eat them right so i basically got rid of them so she came home and I kind of uh, confessed this to say, look, uh, and then before I could get really get into an explanation and explain that I don't really have a very good relationship with food, uh, she she got quite upset. It's uh, like, oh, you've been throwing away my stuff and all this kind of thing. And she got <laughs> kind of quite upset. And so that was the first, our pr- first proper argument as a couple, as a boyfriend, girlfriend was over that. Yeah.
1: Was it about the money? Was it about the money that she was upset about as well? Was that the food value? No,
2: it's, it's not about the money. I think it's just, it's just because if she just didn't get it, she didn't, just didn't understand that I wasn't able to not eat it. She, because she doesn't have that experience herself. I mean, she's one of these people, you could leave her alone in a room, surrounded by various things, and she'll just be quite happy. If she fancies something, she'll have one. One and then leave it. And then weeks could go by and everything could be in plain sight and she's just carrying on as normal. For me, it looks like she's walking on water. It's like, how are you doing this? <laughs> it's like this doesn't make any sense. This does not compute.
0: This is that I'm 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 like that. Yeah. I am like that. Because I used to get I used to get Easter eggs for Easter yeah. and an Easter egg. My mum always bought us an Easter egg. And I could get to July and, and it would still be there. And I Me. haven't started it. Wow. I know. I, and then I got I better because I would eat them quicker because I realized that by July they go off. They don't right. taste the same. So then I would eat them. But I'd just eat a bit at a time. Wow. Not, not the whole lot. Whereas my kids, they just eat the whole thing in one go.
2: Wow. That's tremendous.
1: Apparently there was this observational experiment, you know, where they have the kids in the circle and they put the lollies in the middle of it to see about yeah. the delayed gratification, you know, yeah. impulse control. So they've done this, you know, really mad sort of, you know, psychological experiment. So those yeah. kids that can delay obviously, you know, getting the sweet, that yeah. they're the ones with the very strong internal sort of regulation, that delayed gratification thing. And obviously, right. then there's those that are just a beeline and just you know, yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound, just going kind to of grab the uh-huh. whole lot. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, how are you now with Ferrero Rocher? If they were out in you know, if, in plain if sight, if you, somebody gave some to your wife, and they were there, how would you be? Um,
2: I, I'm okay now because my philosophy now is if I'm going to eat anything with. Uh, Refined carbohydrates in it, it has to be made for me to order. Uh, it can't be anything mass produced. So, for example, uh, so we've just come back from a short holiday, and um, just to break our journey halfway between Wiltshire and Hertfordshire, um, my wife booked us into a really nice gastropub. So, you know, I, I had a low carb uh, sort of main meal uh but then uh on their menu they had a chocolate fondant and from the main meal we knew that sort of just from reviews and stuff that they had a really really good chef so i thought yeah uh i fancy it you know we're on holiday uh you know let's try it and and it's one of those situations where sort of you always think okay so we're going to order this but is it going to be worth the carbs And it so was. And it's one of the most delicious desserts I've ever eaten, I would say. And and sort of because it's memorable. Because we went on holiday years ago to, I think, to Devon. And that's a particular restaurant we went to. Again, we looked it up beforehand to see see what the reviews were like. And then my wife and I still remember the sticky toffee pudding that we ate in that restaurant. So it's about memories and it and it being special. And it's about the food being made with some love and care and skill. So I know that a Mars bar or a Ferrero Rocher or kind of an Oreo cookie, they're mass produced C-R-A-P uh, yeah. that you know, add to the bottom line of some very big corporations. Uh, they're not made for me by a chef uh, to order. So so I almost don't think of UPF as food anymore. I just think of it as, you know, numbers on a balance sheet somewhere, Uh, you know, making somebody richer. So, uh, yeah, so I don't don't eat ultra processed foods anymore. So, and I'm, I'm pretty safe because if I go to the supermarket, certain aisles, if I kind of have to walk down because Ruth has put something on the list, that means I have to get something. I almost don't think, see any food there anymore. I just, it's a bit like seeing detergent or yeah. something like that. I, I don't really look at it as food anymore.
0: I sort of think of it as cardboard. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I do I do occasionally eat ultra-processed foods in the sense, for example, last week I was on holiday and I did have some magnums, Yeah, which are chocolate, which chocolate covered ice cream on a stick for those who don't who don't know what magnums are, yeah. but I know that was four times in a week, and that will be it until I go on holiday next year or the year after who knows when that will be, yeah. but it's not all the time, and I don't have those things when I'm at home usually
2: yeah, yeah. moderation <laughs> if you can yeah. do it is an amazing thing.
1: It is an amazing skill that Jackie has, and yeah. you know the fact that she's on holiday. But she haven't had a holiday, you know, for goodness knows how long. And I think it sort of resonates with what Aranda was saying was about memories. You know, Jackie was in enjoying the weather when it was nice and warm, and you know, away yeah. and relaxed. Yeah. And it was all part of creating creating the memory. So it yeah. just happened to be, um, you know, the ice lolly, but or the yeah. the ice cream. But you know, it still is. It was a lovely memory. Uh huh.
2: Yeah yeah. yeah yeah
0: so how did you get involved with the public health collaboration
2: so um so i discovered dr david anwin and dr jen anwin quite early on because that's kind of one of my first introductions to low carb and the fact that if i was pre-diabetic i could um reverse that
0: through- how, how, i'm just gonna stop you there how did you come across them
2: uh, I think the Diet Doctor podcast um, there was an okay. interview with Dr David Unwin and then I went on the internet and looked on YouTube and I saw this amazing uh, lecture by uh, a joint lecture by both uh, Dr Unwins so it was they were pretending that Dr. Unwin was kind of interviewing a patient Mm -hmm. and there was this role play going on. And then sort of, they compared and contrasted the two approaches. His initial approach. So Dr. David Unwin's initial approach was almost kind of telling off the patient, um, you know, trying to scare them with all this kind of, you know, the things that could go wrong. And the contrast was, okay, so what would it mean to you if you were able to get off all these medications and you felt better and you were, you're able to, uh, you know, wear nice clothes and interact and play with your grandchildren, have lots of energy, what would they kind of, they really sort of tried to make it personal in terms of what's a meaningful thing for that person in terms of how that would change their life. So that's how I came across the public health collaboration. And then I found out all about Sam Felton, uh, the director, who's a, you know, amazing person and, you know, uh looked into his story his kind of uh his kind of debunking of the of the calories in calories out with the overfeeding experiment which is pretty amazing you know 5000 calories a day i mean and then losing inches around the waist uh by eating real food and then contrasting that with kind of ultra processed food and then suddenly his waistline kind of started to balloon very very quickly uh much to his kind of wife's horror uh, I love and, that experiment. Yeah. Fantastic And so, so, so I thought, you know, I'm better. Uh, I get to be the dad that I want to be. I get to be the husband that I want to be. I've got my brain back. I can think clearly I've got energy. Um, and that's this amazing charity who actually helped me because, you know, Dr. David, I mean, they directly helped me even without knowing me. So I thought, um, yeah, how can I get involved? So, um i had an interview with uh with sam felton uh explained to him why what motivates me and he said do you want to become an ambassador i said yes please and had my induction uh before lockdown one like almost a few weeks before the first lockdown i had my induction um and then i got stuck because i had all these grand plans of uh setting up a community project in terms of you know um wife and i go to a local church they have a kitchen there so i had these grand plans of maybe hiring the church hall and sort of doing cookery uh, sort of lessons and classes with local people who were either obese or pre-diabetic or diabetic but then i got the idea from another two ambassadors so uh, there's uh, mark hancock and uh, andy bishop uh, they've been running remote kind of group based sessions so uh just over a year ago i set up my own support group uh, as a phd ambassador um to help diabetics and pre-diabetics and obese people and i'm really happy to say there are two people in the group who've uh, achieved drug-free type 2 diabetes remission fantastic Uh, Well done. yeah so really really happy about that and then sort of uh that they're both really inspirational people because they have done 100% of the work. All I've done is give them resources and support and encouragement, but they've had to do all of the hard work. And, you know, one of them, she's lost seven and a half stone in weight. Wow. Seven and a half stone in weight. And her HbA1c is way better than mine. It's like way, way better than mine. Uh, she's off, off all the meds. Uh, she's met somebody new uh, so she's in love and she's really happy and she's running I mean she's running she, she was morbidly obese when she started and just the thought of running wouldn't have be wouldn't have factored into her thinking but now she's doing kind of a couch to 5k and and she's running she's active she's active because she wants to be uh, it's not like she's thinking, "Oh, I have to exercise uh, to get into energy balance" or anything like that. <laughs> she's exercising because she feels good, uh, you know. And then the same with uh, the other person in my group. So she's just uh, kind of uh, retired. She, uh, so um, she's uh, sort of age sixty. Uh, she's just come back from a trip to Dubai and she's so active these days she's swimming she's walking uh, she's got a dog uh, you know doing yoga and lots of these activities going on and you know she's had to buy new clothes because she's lost so much, so much weight um, both of them have actually had to invest a, you know, effectively in a new wardrobe uh because they've lost so much weight so um so i've done that over the past year and then recently um, I've been involved in a pilot uh, project, uh, so myself and f- sort of three other health coaches who Sam picked to Sam Feltham picked to kind of help launch uh, an initiative working directly with the NHS with GP GPs. So, so over the past twelve weeks, there's a big shout out to my kind of fellow co- kind of colleagues, by the way. So that's uh, Heather Temple Marsh. Uh, Helen Gowers and John Furness, uh, and myself. uh, We've um, just supported nearly 100 patients with type 2 diabetes or pre diabetes uh, over 12 weeks uh, to coach them in low carb, intermittent fasting, and all of these lifestyle changes. And uh, the early signs are that um, we're expecting quite a few of them uh, to, that quite a few of them have already dropped or reduced certain medications and um, quite a few of them have dropped a substantial amount of uh, body fat and we're fully expecting uh, quite a few of the 100 patients or 100 or so patients to achieve uh, remission from either pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes so which is pretty amazing and that's that's only the first phase of the pilot so really really proud of that uh, of what we've done.
0: Fantastic well done
1: really sounds like you're making an impact in terms of you know the the fact that you're now you know giving back you know that this is this is the part of the the giving back to the community do you yeah. see that this is going to be um for you personally professionally sustainable is this some um, where you see aranda the engineer is now becoming a yeah. um, like a health promoter
2: the yeah, that, that's a good question. So the because, I mean, obviously I've got a busy job and I've got a little boy who's coming up to three years old. I'm a husband. You know, my family time is really precious to me. And then um, it does take up a fair amount of time. So that has been something I need, I need to think about. So um, I'm going to go down from managing three groups down to two groups uh, because... Uh, My poor wife uh, sort of uh, has uh, sort of been long suffering. There's me kind of doing all these Zoom sessions. Uh, One of the sessions used to be on uh, Saturday morning. So that really kind of ate into our family time. So I promised my wife that weekends are, you know, family time. I won't do anything in the weekend. Uh, So my plan is to do Wednesday nights and Thursday nights. And that's it. So an hour and a half Zoom, uh, two nights a week. Uh, so I, th- I think that's that's sustainable uh, and hopefully um, we'll be starting the second phase of the pilot fairly soon. And then um, what I'm hoping will happen is that this will become a standard offering uh, or part- partnership with the NHS. We'll get get more, many more health coaches trained up and because it, it is a scalable solution that we can deliver at pace and if it becomes big enough uh, so these stages we're looking at hundreds of people it could become sort of thousands and eventually hopefully it'll become tens of thousands of people because um what dr david unwin and jen unwin have demonstrated with their norwood surgery is they can make an enormous impact just in one gp surgery And if that was scaled across the country, um, we could get back to a position where sort of that's a real sort of sustainable alternative to going on multiple medications and just progressively getting sicker and more tired and more ill.
0: And that makes that in turn makes the NHS more sustainable. Mm, I mean, they're worried about it collapsing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But if all that funding that currently goes to medication and doctors and everything that makes up the health service, if that was even a third less. Exactly. Yeah. That's more money to go in. Yeah. You know, they would have the same money coming in, but not so much going Mm
2: out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think Uh, I read. uh,
2: Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Louise.
1: I think I read that. Dr. Unwin's surgery, like Norwood surgery, just with a deprescribing, prescribing, actually saves the NHS about £50,000 a year. And that's yeah. exactly what Jackie is saying, that if we can get a, as you said, drug-free remission because mm-hmm. we're going to be prescribing less and saving, that's 50,000 times by how many GP practices do we have in, in, in the UK? then yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe yeah. maybe you can pay visas for lorry drivers to get petrol delivered <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah 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 crazy things like that yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah
0: and and even dr ruth Tapsell, she mm. that you know they're saving money as well mm. with their yeah yeah interventions that they're doing yeah, yeah, so
2: yeah I, I love that episode by the way yeah yeah
0: <laughs> thank you yeah yeah
2: yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think Dr. David Unwin mean, kind of tried to do the maths uh, based on a few high-level assumptions. I think his estimate was uh, a saving to the NHS of maybe about £220 million a year or something like that, which is quite a lot of money, uh, you know. And one of the big things that um, Sam Felton talks about is that the NHS is brilliant. It is amazing at helping people with acute problems. So you get into a car accident, you have a heart attack, some huge emergency, NHS is awesome. It is yeah. absolutely fabulous. But what the NHS is not designed for and it can't really cope with is chronic problems. Yeah, so, yeah, because, and it's the chronic problems that are kind of swamping the NHS in terms of resources at the moment.
0: And then they, they, they find something that will help that one thing, but then it causes something else to break down. Yeah, yeah. So then more medication is needed and then you're just chasing one medication after another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, But it really is using that sort of
1: public health metaphor. You know, that's the downstream sort of stuff. As you said, it's that acute stuff, but it's the secondary sort of in the midstream and it's also the upstream. And that's where Public Health England, obviously they the defunding and of that sort of public health england over many yeah. many years that has stopped the education and the prevention and yeah. you know the promotion stuff to stop people from getting to midstream and getting the the further downstream so mm. this is the sorts of things that you know we need to be investing upstream before we mm-hmm. get to that sort of secondary intervention and the tertiary care so yep. throwing money downstream is not really the issue. It needs to be around yep. your work that you're doing with the advocacy, with the mm-hmm. education, building yep. capacity and community. As you were saying about your your cooking classes through um, you know in your community, that you can actually target it to stop mm-hmm. it from from going to midstream and downstream. So I think that yes. that's that's really good. That that's, that's the way to do it, to build people's skills earlier on.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And
2: it, because, I mean, the frustrating thing is it's so simple. It's so simple because you, you, can, you can cook up your pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes remission. You can cook it up in the kitchen uh, just using ordinary ingredients that you can get in any supermarket. And it's not expensive. It's not, it really isn't because it really is not expensive because there is this perception that eating unprocessed foods is expensive, yeah. but it's, it really isn't because obviously if you're eating a ribeye steak, uh, you know, that's grass finished grass fed every day, that's not sustainable for anybody unless you're a millionaire, but, um, eggs, uh, I mean, how, how cheap are eggs? Uh, you know that they're, they're like a superfood
0: and we're lucky in the uk and i would guess in australia as well louise that our meat is fairly good meat you know it is mostly grass-fed it might be grain finished but it is grass-fed it is hasn't isn't full of hormones it's not coming from those feedlots <laughs> like they have in america yeah so just buying it in Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Waitrose is going to be absolutely fine if you can't afford grass-fed and grass-finished. I've got a client at the moment, he reckons he is saving £5 a day Mm -hmm. with the stuff that he's not eating.
2: Yeah, 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 100%. Because the thing is, if you have a bowl of your healthy whole-grain cereal in the morning, uh, if you are predisposed to obesity or pre-diabetes or diabetes, you'll you'll be hungry. You'll be hungry way before lunchtime, which is what I found. And then you'll be buying your, um, you know, Starbucks Mokko latte or whatever it is, full of sugar. And then that will set you up to be hungry again. And you'll have a pastry or something like a Danish. And then you have your lunch, uh, you know, healthy, healthy whole grain pasta and all that kind of CRAP. And then yeah sandwich exactly sandwich again healthy healthy whole grain crap uh, and then um it sets you up to be hungry in the afternoon you have your other frappuccino or again something something sugary which will probably cost you four pounds uh and then the frappuccino is not enough you have a flapjack or something like that or uh, you know uh, this this was me this was me. This is what I used to do. Like, I couldn't make it home without having a snack. So I used to get, I used to change trains. And on the platform, there was one of these kind of kiosks where you can buy some stuff. So I'd buy some Oreos or a flapjack or something like that. Uh, if I didn't do that.
0: You know exactly the carriage you needed to get into. to
2: yeah, jump off <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the kiosk. Exactly. And I, I used to hide the food wrappers. Uh, and, you know, like I used to hide the food wrappers because, you know, I knew I needed to lose weight. And obviously, uh, you know, it was a big thing at home that, you know, I wanted, I'm trying to lose weight, const- constantly trying to lose weight, but failing. Uh, and, you know, and there was all these kind of wrappers that I used to hide, uh, food wrappers I used to hide. And um, then I then I'd get home and if I hadn't had that snack, I'd be hungry. And I'd be a different person walking through the door, uh, you know, that, you know, my wife would see compared to the person I was after I'd had a meal, which is ridiculous. And it's terrible, uh, you know, because, yeah, I mean, uh, our loved ones do bear the brunt of all of this as well, uh, because, you know, she's very, very healthy, has a really healthy relationship with food never had any weight problems uh, doesn't have a family history of type 2 diabetes or obesity or anything like that she's one of these people who genuinely can eat whatever she likes uh, and never puts on weight which is amazing uh, but um sort of um so it is difficult it is difficult because um i just don't have that healthy relationship with food and yeah.
1: Hmm. Have you taken the time to have some sort of therapy looking into perhaps what those sorts of issues are and, and what yeah, has yeah. led you to have that relationship at all?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So mental health is a huge, huge aspect of all of this because I think um, so this is what I see with my patient groups as well. There are certain people who don't have any um, Huge psychological kind of problems in their past in terms of trauma and things like that. They're generally quite cheerful, optimistic people, and they don't have any uh, addiction type issues. They're just eating the wrong food. for For those people, it looks really easy because oh, no, I just do this. They do it. They reverse. Rev- they lose weight. They reverse their diabetes. Job done. Whereas there's there's others uh, who uh have an unhealthy emotional management system to do with how they cope with stress or past trauma or whatever and for those people um fixing the food isn't enough there's more work to do so for me personally yes that i've had had to do kind of quite a lot of work to look at those root causes to see what it is in my past that's led to this unhealthy Mm. way of coping with uh, stress, coping with negative emotions. That means I'm kind of self-soothing with food effectively. Uh, So the physical part of my recovery only took about 12 weeks, but the emotional part of my recovery, it's taken me, I'd say, a year and a half to two years.
1: Which is really no. insightful for you because I think that that's, that's the key. And I, I just love the fact that you're such an engineer. You know, you said the root cause, you know, that's such, a, such an engineering thing which really shows your your growth in this area because you've said, yeah, there was obviously a physical component, 12 weeks, yeah. tick, done. But yeah. the real growth and the real insight to get to what my key triggers are to be able mm-hmm. to sort of know that there was this element which has been a pattern of behaviour because of yeah. that sort of emotion. So well done to you because that's where, as you said, the homework, the real growth in this journey. And that's exactly. hard. And that's that not nice. yeah. an overnight, that's not a 12-week thing. That, as you said, <laughs> yeah. is, is a real investment in um, yeah. doing all the hard work. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And for anybody listening, I mean, resources that have helped me personally uh, are kind of uh, there's an author called James Clear, who's written a book called Atomic Habits. Uh, I find that so powerful because, again, he really breaks down how do you take a destructive habit and get rid of that habit? And how do you take and a, ha- a habit that you want a positive habit and how do you make it into a real sustainable habit and um fantastic book atomic habit so that's really helped me and then more recently i've read a couple of books uh, one's called um i think it's called being brilliant every day by andy cope and andy Whitaker. uh so that, that's all about kind of um the power of Positivity. And then uh, there's an author called uh, Sidney Banks uh, who's written several books that, that they, they've really helped. And then recently I've read a book um, on the recommendation of Dan Grief, actually, uh, from uh, UK Gov. He recommended a book called uh, The Chimp Paradox. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic book. Really, really good. Yeah. So th- there's lots of these things. And For any given person, you never know which book is going to make the penny drop. But once the penny drops, it's really worth that investment.
1: And I I, I like that word because it is an investment and it is obviously, as you said, you know, you have to kiss a lot of frogs to find the one thing that obviously speaks to you. And yeah. I know that Jackie and I have sort of spoken about Gretchen Rubin's work and she explained a lot about how I responded to, obviously being an obliger, yeah. to those yeah. um, those external cues. You know, I can't self-regulate internally. I'm not an upholder by any means. Right. Uh, you know, there's things that I know yeah. externally. And those habits and those things, you know, where my loophole thinking and I need my accountability buddy because I have those external cues. So that conceptualized a lot how I interacted, you know, with my interactions. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: And I think the growth comes from, you know, working through so many books or so many podcasts, and that's why I miss having a commute because I don't get to listen to so many podcasts and audiobooks anymore Um, on the short walk (laughs) from the bedroom to the the office in the morning. So, um, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, so Louise, Gretchen Rubin, I, I love her book actually because one of the key insights I got from her book is not everybody has got the same attitude or style of change. Absolutely. Because you've got to yep. choose your own style depending on you. But some people do okay or really well in terms of small incremental changes. Some people do much better if they go all in and make some big drastic changes. And it all depends on the person and where they are at the time and what suits them. So there's no one kind of method.
1: No. And, it, and, then you, and and then you get the rebel like, Jackie,
0: don't tell me what to do. Oh, but no, I'm, a, I'm, only, I'm only half rebel because I'm also partly obliger as well. Right. So, I, yeah, I flip between the two and it depends on the circumstance. So I'm not one thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so look you're and, even I mean, a rebel now, she can't even choose what <laughs> what kind she is
2: i'm i think I think I recognise another rebel uh, uh netta Gorman. Have you listened to her? yeah, uh, I think yeah, you, we've had her on the podcast yeah i mean yeah. she's she's pretty amazing and she's got her own pop. amazing actually and then I think she's definitely a rebel. I don't know what you guys think, but uh
1: yeah, there. I think maybe, maybe she could yeah. be more upholderish because I think, you All know, this, she yeah.
0: really sort of, she's, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, she's got a lot of, um, drive internal self mm. motivation, Which, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of, um, you're sort of saying about, you know, you're containing your, Your work, your community work. And I, I see that that's actually quite an insightful thing as well. So putting, putting Mm -hmm. boundaries, because if you're all or nothing, can you just boots and all into, into doing this and helping and obliging, um, as you are externally to the community? But you have to pull back because you're being mindful now for your family. That's my family time. And yeah, Yeah. it's hard to sort of curtail the passion. We can, you know, clearly see that and hear that in your, Uh um, you know, the way that you're, you've been speaking about giving to the community, it's good that you've pulled back a bit, you know, for the sake of yeah. Um, yeah. your wife. you know, the ever-present yeah. supportive support systems around you. But what yeah. what's for the future? What's, what's the medium and the, and the long-term plans for you now?
2: So medium-term in terms of the public health collaboration is really trying to... A kind of help with getting the second pilot off the ground and then helping with uh making it a standard offering uh for the nhs to uh because it, it's not about saying this is the only way it's it's a case of uh like like i did if 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 a patient walks through the door and they're type 2 diabetic or pre-diabetic um as well as the the drugs okay so here's some metformin uh here's a statin drug uh here's a kind of you know blood pressure medication as well as that it's like actually there's this whole support system that you can access uh we will support you as your gp as your nurse we will support you and if you're interested um, over the next 12 weeks you can learn how you could potentially not have to take any of these drugs and mm. how you can sort of live in a sustainable way that makes sense to you and is tailored for you personally and here's all the benefits you know you know you will feel better you'll have more energy uh you will drop excess weight um you you know your concentration will improve your moods will improve uh you'll sleep better and all of these things so so these are the, these are all the benefits if you know it's a 12-week investment Uh, and you'll make a whole bunch of new friends because you'll be doing it together with another group of people. And then maybe you'll make some friends for life. Maybe maybe you'll make some friends for life that you will keep in touch with and meet up on a regular basis for the rest of your life. Uh, So that's where I'd, in the the short to medium term, I think with regards to the public health collaboration, I'd really like to help um, being a part of um, giving patients that option. Uh, it's the option I wish I would—I—I I had when I was diagnosed, which I didn't have. I had to kind of, you know, scramble around in the dark to find my own way. Whereas that if that support was there as a standard offering, that would make a really, really big difference. Uh, so uh, on a personal level, um, I've done a lot of work already in terms of um sort of how do I cope with stress? How do I cope with negative emotions and uh, without turning to food uh, for self-soothing? How do I do that? So I've done a huge amount of work already and I'm in a pretty good place And I, but I'm con- going to continue to work on myself uh, and on a kind of personal level um, obviously I want to live an example for my son. Uh, you know here's what a here's what i think a healthy happy dad looks like and kind of live in that example every day and also uh i've got a nephew who's 12 and uh giving him an example he's on he's on uh instagram now and he follows me on instagram and you know I, i'm posting pictures of the low-carb food i'm eating of the exercises that i'm doing and things like that so this weekend i i had a really good chat with him and uh, so following my example now he's bought a chin-up bar and sort of he's bought a chin-up bar and had you know tried to have a go at it himself but he's he was saying to me i can't even do one chin-up so i was saying to him okay so so there's stages there's stages you start off with getting a chair standing on top of the chair and just lowering yourself uh, you can use some resistance bands to help you at the bottom of the rep so there's all these stages you have to go through before you can even do one rep but once you get to that stage when you can do one rep then you'll see an acceleration in terms of your strength and your fitness so um so I had a bit of a coaching session with my nephew uh you know he's a carbaholic uh so my approach with him is I don't talk to him about I I don't preach all I can do is live the example and if and when he's curious he can come and talk to me about it uh, and um, because people have to be ready uh, to hear something he might not be ready until he's in his he's twenty five or thirty and you know um, with his genetics uh, it's possible that kind of uh, he might have the same predisposition that I have mm-hmm. for pre-diabetes or obesity and uh, but yeah so in a personal sense, I think it's about. Um, you know, uh, in the early stages, I was a bit of a uh, low carb zealot, uh, yeah. you know, I've got to put my hand up there, uh, you know, I, I think, I think most people go through that stage where they think, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, low carb or nothing, or intermittent fasting or nothing, everything else is wrong. Uh, everybody has to do this, uh, you know, and then getting angry about the, the standard guidelines and all, the, all those kinds of things. And then none of that is very productive. Uh, So I've got to the stage now where um, all I can do is my best and hopefully people around me, um, if they get curious, I can just be open uh, and friendly and approachable and just give them tiny little pointers here and there so that they can go away, digest it in their own time at their own pace and then implement things if they think it makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a good way to be. I, I get a bit overzealous sometimes.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's still hard and I have to physically hold, you know, bite my tongue. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And catch on to it with my teeth and just uh-huh. not say anything. Yeah. But it's a real physical Yeah, yeah. biting my tongue. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when, when we see it all around us, people with type 2 diabetes, Um early stages of dementia mm-hmm. i mean at that point it's possibly even too late but
2: yeah you know yeah. it
0: could have been it could have been dealt with earlier yeah
2: absolutely yeah.
0: so aranda how can people get in contact with you on social media connect with you how can they do that
2: um so i'm on twitter and on instagram uh both places it's aranda w1 so that's e-r-a-n-d-a-w-1 Uh, both on kind of Twitter and Instagram also on Facebook Uh, I'm also on the public health collaboration ambassadors kind of uh, website so that's uh, um, phcuk.org so there's a section in there for ambassadors and you can find me on there it's the Harpenden ambassador so that's how they can contact me Mm -hmm. great
1: what we'd like to do is to obviously impart some of your wisdom now. Um, and if you have three top tips for the listeners, please.
2: So, the, the very top tip is don't panic. So, don't panic. So, whatever, wherever you are now, say if you're a type 2 diabetic and obese now or something like that. So, the very top tip is don't panic because. Um, hope is where it all starts. So this is where uh, I'm I'm taking this from Dr. Jen Anwin. So if you have hope that life can get better for you personally in a way that's meaningful for you, I think that's a better starting point than um, the fear of all the things that that can go wrong or or how terrible you might think your current situation is. So the first top tip is um, don't panic or have hope. So that, that's the first top tip because if you start from a place of hope, everything else flows from there. Uh, so the second thing is um, find the style of change that suits you personally because some people do better uh, going all in and making some drastic changes and some people genuinely do better if they make small incremental changes. So choose the style of change that suits you personally Uh, and the third one is at least initially in the early stages focus on yourself because you're you're going to come across a lot of different ideas in terms of intermittent fasting uh, low carb or all these types of things and people around you at least initially might be resistant to a lot of these ideas because they don't think Uh, You know, people might say, oh, intermittent fasting, you're starving yourself, uh, Mm -hmm. obviously not true, uh, because uh, fundamentally, starvation is when a person does not have a choice, they literally can't access food, whereas in our society, in a first world country, we can have any pretty much any food we want any time of the day or night. So if you're choosing not to eat all day long, that is not starvation that's an empowered choice that you're making. So people around you might, um, through concern, through genuine concern, they might be kind of resisting what you're doing, saying, oh, low carb, you're going to give yourself a heart attack eating all these fatty foods. So I'd say at least at the beginning, really focus on yourself. Um, and um, to an extent, um for people around you that will notice uh you will need to have certain conversations but for people who aren't interacting with you day to day don't waste your energy trying to convince them that low-carbon intermittent fasting are, the, are are kind of healthy things to do so i'm doing this i'm doing that so what, save that until after you've recovered and you're confident in yourself because after recovery because You know, it's almost, it's a very reliable way of recovering. And after recovery, you will have that self-confidence because you've seen the results for yourself and you feel good. At that stage, um, you can have a rational conversation with somebody and and say, well, actually, what you're saying isn't right because of X, Y, Z. And okay, so you still don't believe me. That's fine. Uh, Here's some resources that you can look at. Um, I'm going to continue what I'm going to, you know, what I know works for me personally. Mm. So I think the third one is, is about, especially at the beginning, focusing on yourself and reserving your energy for going to that uncomfortable place of doing something different to what, to what you've been doing for the past 20, 30, 40 years, because change of that scale is stressful. You know, yeah. it's stressful, and it takes energy. It takes mental bandwidth, and you can't afford to waste any of that energy having fights with people, trying to convince them uh, that what you're doing makes sense. Especially yeah. if it, yeah,
0: yeah, it's sort of big, it's sort of being that role model uh-huh. rather than than the preacher. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like you say, saving your energy for yourself.
2: Yeah focusing
0: on you yeah, right? yeah.
1: As they as they say you know put your put your mask on first and then you can obviously deal with the other people as well so um, 100%
2: yeah 100% yeah
1: well Aranda thank you so much for obviously you have focused on yourself and you didn't waste your time on uh, you know other people's energy because you've done the hard yards and it's clearly evident that you are making a difference in the community so thank you for your you know, you've you've done the hard work and now it's giving back, you know, the the gift yeah. that um keeps on giving, as I say, is obviously your your focus, your energy, your time. So thank you for yeah. your wife for sharing um sharing you um and your family time um with others. It's 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 wonderful to hear, you know, the difference that you're making. And please continue um all the good work that you're doing for the PhC. Um yeah. it's just wonderful. Yeah,
2: yeah. brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Jackie and and Louise. It's been a real honour and a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks.
1: Jackie, it's wonderful that Aranda just evokes so much hope in the way that he speaks about not only his own journey, but certainly the journey for other people and how inspiring
0: that is. And hope is all important. As we know, we've heard it from Dr. Jen Unwin. We know it through, you know, that we've heard with um, David Unwin that this hope that people have, that they can actually do something about their condition, because whilst it's easy to take drugs, that's the easy way out. Not everybody given a choice, not everybody wants to follow that that route. Some people would rather not have the drugs and not have the side effects and, and do something themselves. And I think it's really powerful that people can, you know, can tap into PHC ambassadors, the particip- patient participation groups, all these things that they can tap into to get help should they choose to take a different route.
1: But I think what was really, really interesting about Iranda's story and one that resonates with you is when he sort of said that he didn't have a deficiency in willpower. And I know from your story that you was sort of saying that you thought you lacked this willpower, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It wasn't about the willpower. It was
0: just about knowing what to do for your body. Definitely, because you can try, you know, put your willpower into it, but it will only sustain you for a certain period of time. And as we know, this is very sustainable. So it's not about the willpower. Your willpower gets used up very quickly. And mine never used to last more than a week or 10 days or even three, you know, three weeks at most. Um To the point where I just thought, well, why bother? Because, you know, to go on diet for three weeks is not really worth it. But once you change what you eat, when you eat, it just becomes it just becomes easy it doesn't you know willpower doesn't come into it at all it does more now i think you know you do have to have a bit of well willpower now but it's not that all-encompassing can't think of anything else type willpower
1: it's it's really interesting because as we heard with um, I think it was Megan Pfeffer, you know, and it's about all those other diets, you know, the, the diets after diet after diet, and there's the calorie restriction that you put yourself on, and it's always around, you know, the fact that that willpower, as you said, doesn't sustain you because your body is craving for nutrients, it's craving for, um, you know, for to be able to be fed. And of course, it's going to run out after three days or three weeks. But the fact that Aranda had the hope, not only the hope to sustain himself, but he's giving it through his, um, his practice, the practice in the, as an ambassador. And he's affecting others now. And I think that's the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it's the paying it forward. It's the empowering and advocating for change. By really, you know, sharing that hope and sharing the tools, and and really upskilling
0: other people, mm. so I think that's that's the hope, the power, and the message from the hope there. Yeah, and he's also done a lot of emotional work on himself, which um, probably makes him stronger to be able to deal with the things that life's going to throw at him.
1: Yeah, and that's the, that's the sustainability as well. So that emotional work is obviously part of that sort of insight and you know the change in mindset you know that that's the growth mindset being able to do that mm. and that really does take that's a real credit to 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 him to be able to do that so it's not as we've as we will soon hear in another podcast it's about the psychology and the physiology and the physiology is lowering the insulin but the psychology is that insight and in knowing what those emotional triggers are
0: mm. yeah definitely
1: Jackie where can we get the show notes for this episode
0: So show notes are at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero five nine. Thanks, Jackie.
1: Hey, Jackie. You know, when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweeteners?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything.
0: You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, We will happily answer your questions you don't have to be new to keto so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall then feel free to submit your questions as well just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash a m a It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously and you can choose the monthly amount you wish.
1: Can you recommend a guest we can in interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation.
0: Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click
1: the subscribe button.